Okay, sweet. Uh, yeah, we're in Judges. We've come to Judges chapter 10. In fact, chapters 10, 11, and 12 are a unit together in the book of Judges. They're kind of telling one story. And so this morning, we're going to just be in chapter 10. We're going to do some of the groundwork for this whole story. We're going to take three weeks to move through this section. And then we're going to come to the great, famous biblical story of Samson, okay? But uh, this morning, we, we dive in here to chapter 10, and we see what happens in the land of Israel amongst God's people after the days of Gideon. Remember before Christmas, all our Christmas time away from the book of Judges, we were looking at the story of Gideon. We were looking at the story of his son Abimelech during the time of Judges. And so we are coming just after that now just to kind of get our bearings again. And we read this, it says in Judges chapter 10, verse 1, after Abimelech, there arose to save Israel Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Daudau, the man of Issachar. And he lived in Shamir, in the hill country of Ephraim. And he judged Israel 23 years. Then he died and was buried at Shamir. After him arose Jair, the Gileadite, who judged Israel 22 years. And he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities called Havoth Jair to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Kaman. So as we uh, trans- transfer from Abimelech into the time of this current area, um, this current season in the land of Israel, we're, we're referenced to these two judges. They're probably not guys that you've ever heard of, right? Tola and Jair. And their stories are, well, actually, these guys are called minor judges. A lot of people refer to them as minor judges because their stories are told each in just two verses. You know, whereas guys like Gideon or guys like Samson get multiple chapters committed to their stories in the book of Judges. These guys just get two verses each. But together, combined, they ruled the land of Israel for 45 years. Here we read. Now, Tola was from the tribe of Issachar. Um, and Issachar, their inheritance was in the region of the Galilee. They were just south of the uh, Sea of Galilee, bordering the Jordan River. And what's interesting is that for some unstated reason, Tola does not live amongst his own tribe, the tribe of Issachar. Instead, the text tells us that he lived in the mountainous hill country of Ephraim, which is quite away south from the land of his tribal allotment and inheritance. Now, it's interesting because if you look at these guys, just a couple verses, Tola, just a couple verses, but there could be a hint here to why that was the case, that he wasn't living with his tribe, just in the meanings of these family names. Now, I got to tell you, when I look at these family names, Pua and Dudu, uh, my 13-year-old boy, Humer, just wants to take off. Like, it really does. But I just want to correct this. I'm going to help you. This name, Dudu, that looks like Dudu to us, is actually Dow Dow. okay? So, Will Dow, this is your name repeated twice. You guys will never forget that if you just use that rule. Dow Dow, okay? This is Dow Dow, not Dudu. Thank goodness. Pua and Dudu. Well, the name Pua means this. It means splendid. Splendid. It means splendid. And his grandfather, this is, he was the father of Tola, and the grandfather's name was Dow Dow, and his name means beloved one. So you have splendid and beloved one. But Tola's name was neither splendid or beloved one. You know what his name means? It's kind of crazy. 
His name means worm. The guy was named Worm. <laughs> and it's just, what is, how strange is that? You know, you may have said that about the odd person over the years. That guy's a worm, you know. You work with some character, you say, that, that person is a insect, man. They are a worm. You know, modern vernacular is to call someone a creep, <laughs> which is, you know, to relate them in a negative sense to a detestable person. This guy was called Worm. That was the name he was given at his birth. Isn't that crazy? It's strange to me that any parent would ever name their child Worm. And that's what he was called by his own family. And so maybe that's the reason why the reason why he did not live in the region of Issachar, but instead chose to live in the hill country of Ephraim rather than with his own family and his own tribe. And amazingly, though this was his name, Worm, Tola, Though that was his name, it's not recorded anywhere here in this scripture that this guy had done anything wrong or done anything to deserve that title of worm. Instead, we read, he judged Israel for 23 years, and the connotation is all good, that he was a good judge. The writer tells us that Tola arose to save Israel, and he judged Israel for 23 years. He was a savior. He was a deliverer. He was a judge, and you know what they called him? A worm. And here in this man who judged Israel, we see the overtones of one who would come to deliver all people for all time, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Did you know that King David in Psalm 22, a thousand years before Jesus was born, David prophesied that Jesus, when he was hung on the cross, would be considered a tola, that he would be considered and called a worm by men. I I want you to, it's going to come up on the screen here. This is from Psalm 22. I want to read this portion to you. Psalm 22, verse 68, it says this. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. That's David prophesying about Jesus. We can can hear the very things that the crowds taunted Jesus and saying as he hung on that cross. Though he was scorned by man and despised by the people, Jesus was both judge and deliverer. He was savior of all mankind. And just like Tola lived among a people that weren't his own, so the Bible declares to us that Jesus lived amongst a people that were not his own, that he left his father's side in heaven and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He came to his own, the scripture says, but his own did not receive him. But the Bible says to all who did receive him, He gave the right to become children of God to those who believed in his name. And so this is a great picture right here. You know, Jesus, though he was called worm, he not only saved us, but Jesus, like Tola, is a judge who defends his people. Tola, it says, he rose to save Israel. I just like that language, that picture of him rising up to save Israel. Jesus rose from the dead. He arose from the dead to save us. And so this man is a picture of Jesus in the book of Judges. That's one of the, one of the kind of subtitles we've given to this series, Jesus in the book of Judges. Tola is a picture of that. 
Well, the Bible tells us here that after Tola arose Jair, and he judged Israel for 22 years. Now, his name means this. The name Jair means one who enlightens. In other words, one who brings light. And I like that because the idea here, it says he arose also. He arose, Jair arose to save Israel. He arose to bring light to Israel. I like that idea. Light, of course, we know is the agent in God's creation that stimulates sight. Light makes things visible in the midst of darkness. When a light shines in the darkness, all of a sudden you can see and things become visible. Light allows you to see the, the eye is the organ of the body that, that transmits light so that life can be illuminated and you can enjoy all the beauty of God's creation and see the world and the wonder of the Lord. And this man, Jair, his name means one who enlightens. And to me, this is where Jair also was a picture of Jesus. Because we know this, that Jesus said that he is the light of the world. That, that uh, he's the light of the world. Now, when Jesus spoke so many things to his disciples, the New Testament tells us that, that many of the things that he taught them, they did not understand until he arose from the dead. Well, in Jair, we see... One who arose to bring light. And again, it's a foreshadow of one who would come. One who would come and judge and he would be called the light of the world. And I I love this more of this picture about J.R. because it tells us that he had many sons. And it was a good thing to be counted a son of J.R. See, if you were counted as his son, he was a wealthy and benevolent father and he gave gifts to his sons. And, and all of his sons were well taken care of, and his sons were identified by the gifts that their father gave to them. The great picture. His father gave them gifts, and not only that, they ruled with their father. They ruled alongside of their father. And, and, and as I say those things, it's just the overtones of the New Testament are obvious for anyone who's familiar with the Bible. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have been given gifts of the Spirit. We have been given the fruits of the Spirit. The Bible tells us that we are going to rule and reign with Christ Jesus just as the sons of Jair ruled with their father. Jesus told parables about his followers ruling over the cities. Here are these, here are these sons of Jair ruling over cities. And so I love this. You know, you, you jump in here just to chapter 10, and in just a few verses, we see indications suggesting that This is what it should look like when we look for God's deliverer to come. When the ultimate Savior comes, when the ultimate one comes who is the judge of all judges, the judge of all mankind, the Messiah, when he comes, this is what we should expect. He would bring light. That his sons would rule and reign with him. That he would be called a worm and yet (laughs) he would deliver that he would live amongst the people who were not, our, not his own. And you know, I think about these guys, Tola and, and Jair, they're just minor judges, but they are there to help us anticipate and to see what Jesus would be like. They tell us what Jesus will be like as judge, as deliverer, as savior. And it says that they arose to save Israel. And we know this, so too, Jesus would rise to save. <laughs> not just Israel. He rose from the dead to save all of mankind. 
These men died, and, and the text tells us where they're buried. I, I like this too. It's just like, here's where this man is buried. Marked, their tombs are marked till this day. Well, Jesus died, he was buried, and Jesus is the judge of all judges. Hallelujah, he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. In our church, we want to do this. We just want to lift Jesus higher and higher and higher. You know, we don't know much about these two men, Tola and J.R., besides what I've said. I mean, but we know enough. We know this much. We know enough that their lives preach Jesus. Man, I love that. I love that right there. Therefore, in my mind, you know, there is nothing minor about either of these two men. Though some people call them minor, there's nothing minor about them because their lives preach Jesus. When you dig into their lives, what comes to the surface is Jesus. Now, between these two guys, 23 years and 22 years, they led Israel for a total of 45 years. And they have to have been good years because the text doesn't tell us anything else. I just think, wow, years of blessing, years of prosperity, years of peace as these men rose up to save God's people. This was a good time for Israel. This was a really good time for Israel under the leadership of these two men. But what's interesting is, is that this text goes on, this whole chapter goes on to tell us that, that though this had been a good time for Israel, unfortunately, the chapter goes on to tell us about the decay of the nation, the decline, the spiritual decomposing of the people of Israel, the decay of the nation. You see, in spite of all of the blessing, in spite of all of God's peace that happened in the midst of their leadership, in spite of all of the prosperity that God's people experienced, things went bad because as soon as these judges were gone, man, deterioration quickly set in. Rot set in. And the nation began to just fall apart. And we're going to read about that in just a minute. But before we even do, let me, just, let me just give you the diagnosis right off the hop here. Before we even like read what happened to Israel, it's this wash, rinse, repeat cycle that we've seen over and over in the book of Judges. But let's get down to the root of the problem. See, the problem, the problem with the decay of Israel was spiritual. And I think that this is really important to grasping this text this morning and grasping what the Spirit of God would say to you and what He would say to me and what He would say even to our world and understanding the things that are going on around us. See, when a nation begins to decay, when things begin to fall apart, you need to know this, the root is always spiritual. It's always a spiritual problem. I mean, we can look around the world and recognize this today. And I think it's important we take time to just stop and say this right off the hop before we read the things we're about to read. I mean, let's look at our neighbors to the south, our good friends in America, bordering our southern border. You know, the problem in the south in America is spiritual. We have to call it what it is. You know, if I look to our own nation, I would say this. The problem in the midst of everything that's going on and the rapid change that's happening in our nation, it's spiritual. The root is spiritual. You know, we should look south and, and be very, very concerned. I don't know about you, but I watched the things that unfolded this past week. Man, it's crazy, isn't it? It's totally concerning. The polarization of people, of politics, the political gamesmanship, 
of the corruption, the spirit of rebellion, of the media, all of these things, boy, we should be very concerned. I mean, we should be concerned about censorship. You know, I want to just tell you this right now, and I think it's important that I address this from time to time. Like, I was shocked this weekend because I went to download a a social media app, and it would no longer download for me. And the next morning, I tried again, and this time the app was completely gone off the Apple platform. You know, what we're watching happen is corporations take over. (laughs) They're deciding what is moral and what is good. I mean, it's incredible. You might like Donald Trump, and you might hate Donald Trump's guts. I don't care. I don't really care. That's not the point I'm making. But I would make this point. We should be extremely concerned when corporations can go so far as to censor presidents of a nation, the president of America. But you don't have to like the guy. You should recognize what's going on. It's extremely concerning. You know, we look in our own backyard. And here's why it's concerning. See, if if the president of the United States can be censored, What can happen to the church? What can happen to you as an individual? You know, let's look in our own backyard. I think about some of the inequity that we're watching in our culture as this group's picked on and this group's given freedom. You know, you could could go to Costco and and shop and yet the small business is hurt, you know? You you can participate in this or that and, and it can be in a group format, but the church isn't allowed to gather. We look in our own backyard, we see inequity, we see poor leadership. We're seeing governments who are enacting policies to stop churches from gathering rather than calling the nation to prayer. Where is the voice of leadership? Where are the people of God? Lockdown in the East, Quebec, enacting curfews. This is not about This is not about a sickness except one in the heart of mankind. The problem is spiritual. In Ontario, Trinity Baptist Church that met from June 14th to December 24th without a single case of COVID in their midst. This week, their pastors and elders, three pastors and three elders were charged. They were charged under the reopening act of Ontario. And the charges have a maximum fine of $10.8 million against that church. With each of those leaders facing one year of imprisonment. On top of $10.8 million. You know why? Because they gathered to worship Jesus. We have a spiritual problem going on. Boy, we look at this text. 45 years of godly leadership under Tola and J.R. Peace and prosperity. Peace and prosperity. But you know, the problem was that Israel did not take the time to thank the Lord for all that he had simply done for them. You know that this is the essence of idolatry? You see, we live in the midst of an idolatrous people. We're, we're so ingrained in the midst of it, sometimes we're blind to what's going on around us. And this is the essence of idolatry, to enjoy the gifts but not be grateful to the giver of the gifts. See, the Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights. And Israel was guilty 
And I think that we could come to the same conclusion about the West. I want to say it just right out this morning. We can come to the exact same conclusion about the West. God has abundantly, abundantly blessed our nation. God has abundantly blessed our neighbors to the South. Let me ask you this. How have we thanked him for his blessing? How have we thanked him? Well, we thanked him by removing him from our education system. We thanked him by sacrificing the unborn on the idol of convenience. We thanked him by removing his morals and his practices from our lives. We thanked him by promoting and glorifying sexual immorality. We have thanked him by calling normal that which he says is perverse. We have thanked him by calling good that which he says is evil. We, we have thanked him by setting the stamp on a, of approval on that which he says is sin. We have thanked him by teaching our children, by teaching the children of our nation that they evolve from lesser life forms than rather than preaching the truth that they were created in the image of God. In church, God has blessed our nation and we have watched our nation turn its back on the Lord. We should be concerned. And we should be seeking the Lord. You know, the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10, speaking of blessing and having a full stomach, it says this, you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good that he has given you. And are we those who are counted as those who bless the Lord for the good he has done? See, the problem in our nation, like, the, like generations ago in the land of Israel, was this. The problem is spiritual. See, everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. And the Bible tells us it's our thanksgiving which glorifies the Lord. In fact, the New Testament tells us it's the will of God that we would be thankful in all things, I wanted to read to you Psalm 69, verse 30. Just a, one simple example from the scripture about the heart of thanksgiving. It says this, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. You know, when we look at the signs of decay of a nation, one of them is this, ingratitude to the Lord. And in fact, I just want to Say that right here. It's going to come up on the screen. If this is a point of signs of a decay of a nation or Israel's sign of decay, it was their ingratitude to the Lord. See, when uh, wood leads a nation down the path of decay, ungrateful living. Life without thanksgiving, life without acknowledging the good hand of a good God who loves us and has blessed us. See, really, are we an unthankful are we an unthankful people? Yes, we are. Consumerism, depression, all of these things, all of these epidemics that are happening culturally in the midst of our society, it tells us we're an unthankful people. All of God's blessings. And so the first sign of decay is this, Israel's ingratitude to the Lord. But the second is this, their lack of willing submission to the Lord. See, that word submission... So often when we hear it in the Bible, we don't want anything to do with the word submission. But the word submission means this, the action of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority 
of another person. And see, Israel did not want to live in submission to the Lord. Israel did not want to live under the authority of the Lord. Israel did not want to live according to the superior force of God's power. And I would say, what is any different in our nation these days? And so let's read about this. Let's read in verse 6, it says this. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. Verse 7. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years, they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim so that Israel was severely distressed. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord saying, we have sinned against you. Because we have forsaken our God and we have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the Ammonites and from the Philistines? The Sidonians also and the Amalekites and the Maonites oppressed you and you cried to me and I saved you out of their hand. Verse 13. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and they served the Lord. And he became impatient over the misery of of Israel. Wow, this is crazy as you read this and you just get this picture of what's happening. Uh, it, it tells us that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. It's shocking as you read this. The seven nations whom, who, uh, and their, their gods whom the children of Israel chose to serve, the Baals and the Ashtaroth. These seven nations that they had driven out of the land, these seven nations that they had been called to destroy, now they were bowing down to the gods of these nations. The restraining hand of godly judges, men like Tola and Jair, had been removed, and, and the spiritual decline and spiral just like accelerated and, and, and sped up. And God's people just began to worship other gods. See, there's an appetite in every human heart that can only be satisfied by a personal relationship with the living God through his son, Jesus Christ. Every human being has an appetite to worship, is designed for worship, is designed to, to bow down and to give its praise to a, a God. But humans in rebellion always look for substitutes instead of the living God. See, the root of all sin is human pride. Which is, I'll be my own God. I'll make my own decisions. I'll live my own life, my truth. I'll live by my truth and my rules and live how I want to live. That is the appeal of idolatry. 
It's a God that we can create and control and, and allows us to do whatever we want. It just leads us to serving our own purposes and our own plans and doing what we want. So Israel forsook the Lord. They were bound to him in a covenant relationship. But they forsook him and they turned to gods of their own choosing. And when that happens in a nation, disaster is totally inevitable. When a nation doesn't live in willing submission to the Lord, decay is inevitable. And church, I would tell you that's the diagnosis for the world today. That's a diagnosis for our own nation that is not living in willing submission to the Lord. And the idols we have chosen have not satisfied us, and the end will be disaster. What's interesting here in this text, it tells us that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. I I thought that's such an interesting word, kindled. It's like a fire was set. A fire was stoked. Debris was gathered and the paper was crunched in there and the match was lit and the image of fire starting began. And the text tells us that the Lord sold Israel into the hand of the Philistines. I always wonder what that looks like. It's like to be, to be sold. You know, we, we talk about how the evil slavery is and such things. God sold his people into the hands of the Ammonites and the Philistines. It's interesting that the Philistines lived to the southeast in the land of Israel. The Ammonites lived uh, to the west, a little bit to the north, uh, northwest. And so the the people of God were sandwiched on either side with these enemies oppressing them. And they were crushed, the text says. They were oppressed. 18 years it went on. 18 years on one side of the, of the Jordan. Gilead was on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And it's amazing that, these, that the children of God, Israel, would live crushed and oppressed for so many years. Crushed and oppressed under the hand of the enemy. For so many years, and that they would refuse in the midst of that to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. The text goes on to tell us, the writer tells us, that it got so bad that, that the enemies of God's people were crossing the Jordan and attacking tribes on the other side. The distress was severe. And finally, eventually, when Israel came to their senses, they cried out to the Lord and they said, We have sinned. We have sinned. That's what it says in verse 10. And they seem to cry out here in this sense, like saying, okay, we'll acknowledge our sin before the Lord and it'll kind of be like rubbing the the magic bottle and bringing out the genie. The open says me and we'll get God to respond. But it seems as you read this, as God refuses to respond to their acknowledgement of sin, That they didn't put away their foreign gods. This wasn't true repentance. It was just an acknowledgement. Yeah, we've sinned. God help us. But the Lord didn't send any help immediately. In verse 11 and 12, the Lord recounts to them. I don't know, it's the voice of a prophet speaking here. And the Lord recounts to them the history of his his saving work on their behalf. He he counts down the, the nations and the people groups from whom he had saved them. And he's saying to them, if only you would review your history. If only you would review the history of your nation. If only you would review the history of your life and see how I worked to save you and how I had blessed you. 
God brought you into discipline and you should repent. They should have had this all figured out. I mean, they were God's covenant people. They knew that that if they served the Lord, he would bless them. And if they rebelled against, he would bring curse and, and discipline. This is what it meant to be in covenant relationship with him. To live for him would result in blessing. To rebel against him was to awaken his discipline. And the Lord said to him, said to Israel, you have forsaken me and therefore I will save you no more. It's just like so tragic that it comes to this point where the Lord says, you go cry out to your gods. You go cry out to the idols whom you serve. Get them to save you. And to me, it's tragic because for people to abandon God is one thing, but for God to abandon people. For people to abandon God, that's one thing, but for God to abandon his creation, that's something else. See, this is the greatest judgment God can send on any people is to say, you have your own way. I'm not interfering any longer. That's a terrifying thought. And see, in our nation, amongst our own people, in our culture, we need to expose the substitutes people have put in place of God. We need to expose the idolatry. We need to point it out. We need to tell the nation where this leads, where it goes. Finally, as we read there, when you come to verse 15 and 16, the the children of Israel seem to come to some level of genuine repentance. They repent and they say, Lord, we're just going to repent of this. You do what what seems best to you. We we don't want to serve these gods anymore. And they, they realize that their hope wasn't in their repenting, but their hope was in the character of the Lord. And I love this. That Towards the end of this chapter here, it tells us that the Lord became impatient with the misery of Israel. Isn't that awesome? To me, that is awesome how merciful and patient the Lord is. This is the deep-rooted response of God's love. That God gets impatient with the pain and suffering of those who call out to him. This was no twisting of arms, a twisting of God's arm. God could not bear the misery of his children and the oppressive results that had come upon them because of their idolatry. When they put away their idols and they called out to him and said, we're going to serve you no matter what you do. His grace and his mercy responded. His good character could not help but respond to his children like any loving father. And the Lord became impatient over the misery of Israel. And that brings us to the third sign of a nation in decay. The first sign was ingratitude. The second sign was a lack of willing submission to the Lord. And the third sign is this, a lack of godly leadership. A lack of godly leadership. Verse 17, check it out. Then the Ammonites were called to arms. They encamped in Gilead. The people of Israel came together and they encamped at Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. It's amazing. We come to this point as God just begins to pour out his grace and his mercy on his children. 
They were prepared. They were prepared to go to war against the enemy, but the tragic thing was this, there was no one to lead them. No one to lead them. And I would tell you often, a lack of leadership is a sign of God's judgment. A lack of leadership is a sign of God's judgment. You know, leadership is one of the gifts that God gives to his church. When God's people are following him, he sends to them gifted leaders. But at this point, for the children of Israel, there's no leadership. They're like, if someone would just rise up, we'll give him the keys to the kingdom. He can be leader over all of Gilead if he will just rise up. And it's this declaration of the great need for a leader, a captain, a commander, a lord, a king. Now, for the sake of this story, Judges chapter 10 through 12, one story. We're going to have to wait and see who that leader is, whom God raises up. But for the sake of our lives, I can tell you who the leader is. Like boldly and clearly, I can tell you Jesus is the one you're looking for. Jesus is the one you need. For the sake of our lives, I can tell you Jesus is the one to look to. Jesus is the one you are looking for. Jesus is the one who can lead you and to be the pilot of your life. Jesus is a leader whom you can follow and he will always lead you in the right direction. Jesus is Lord and to him you can express your thanksgiving and to him you can submit. He will lead you. And so I think about this text. I want to just give you three points of application as we consider this. The first one is this. Practice the attitude of gratitude. The attitude of gratitude. As I said earlier, it is the will of God that we would give thanks in all circumstances, church. The attitude of gratitude. Now I want to give you something to help you with that. And I implore you, listen to me. I implore you. Turn your TV off. Turn the media off. Turn it off. If you are committing more time to watching news and following politics than you are to prayer and to being in the Word of God and with the people of God, there isn't, you're living an unbalanced life. You're given too much priority to such things. You know, I've really begun to become an convinced that the media is no friend of ours. (laughs) You haven't figured this out yet? CBC, turn it off. Turn it off, church. Turn it off. You know, Jesus said this. He said, when you pray, don't be like the pagans who repeat themselves and say incantations and things over and over and over and over again. You know, I've just, the media is pagan speaking spells and incantations over our lives. You know, you just have to stop again and and think about the meanings and the titles that are given to such things. Television, tell a vision. You know, watch watch a program. Why? So that you can be programmed. You're going to change channels. Things are being channeled to us. Look, it's just the reality. Turn it off. Spend more time with the Lord. Get in the Word of God. Join the times of prayer. Spend personal time prayer. Go for a walk, man. Get outside. Turn it off. 
Practice the attitude of gratitude. I'll tell you what, sitting in front of that tube, sitting in front of the computer, not going to help you with the attitude of gratitude. Turn it off. Spend time in the presence of the Lord. Give thanks to him for his faithfulness, for all the things he's done. His faithful, faithful character towards you, his grace, his mercy. Uh, Celebrate communion in your own personal life. Take time. Set it up. Meditate on the cup. Meditate on the bread. Spend time with Jesus. Remember all that he's done for you. Because he deserves your gratitude and your thanksgiving. It's the will of God that you should give thanks in all circumstances. The second thing I would say to you is this. Live a life of submission to the Lord. Live a life of submission to the Lord. That means this. Yield to his authority Yield to his rule. I like that word yield. Yield to him. It's like coming to an intersection and you and two vehicles meeting and you allow the other person to go. This is what you do in your life. You come to an intersection with the Lord and you wave the Lord ahead first. You go first. I'll follow you. I yield to your submission. I yield to your authority and rule. You know, one of the ways we do this is the practice of repentance. Repentance. You know, I was thinking about this more (laughs) this week, and I haven't been quiet for those who have talked talked with me about, you know, so-called prophets and the things that they have prophesied with regards to things that are happening in the world. And the voice that I have not heard is the call to repentance. I have not heard enough of the call to repentance. I will tell you, every biblical prophet will call people to repent. The Bible says those who claim to be prophets and prophesy blessing and and wellness and all of these things will only be known as prophets if their word comes true. A true prophet always calls the people of God to repent. The Bible says that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. That means the message of Jesus, that you repent from sin and you turn in faith to Christ Jesus. See, to repent means this, to change your mind. It's a change of mind about God. It's a change of mind about Jesus. And it's a change of mind about sin. And repenting means this, that where I serve sin, I change my mind. I turn from sin and I turn my life towards Jesus. And repentance is more than simply admitting sin. Remember, Israel did this. He said, Lord, we, we, we've served these gods. We, we repent of it. And the Lord says, come on, man, let's not play games. Repentance is more than simply admitting sin. That's just the first step. Sin, the Bible tells us, has to be punished. That God punishes sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And sin has to be repented of. The Lord doesn't play games with regards to this. He sent his own son, Jesus, to the cross for the sins of the world, to bear the wrath of God. And Jesus died in our place. Sin has to be repented of. And in repentance, We turn from sin and we cast our lives upon the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, who alone can save. True repentance realizes that that we can do nothing to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do 
And so we turn from sin and in faith we put our trust in Jesus Christ. And Jesus saves us. Church, we have to live a life of submission to the Lord. And I want to tell you, maybe you're watching this morning, you don't know Jesus. You can know Jesus this morning. You can make that decision in your own personal life. You can turn from sin and turn in faith to Jesus. Just think about that picture of the intersection. You and Jesus arriving at the stop at the same time. Wave him forward. Wave him forward. Say, Jesus, from here on in, from here on in, Jesus, you take the lead. I turn, I, I repent, Jesus, of trying to lead my own life. I repent, Jesus, of setting the own mor- my own moral standards. I, I, I repent, Jesus, of living for this or living for that. I want to follow you. I want to live for you. If you will repent of sin and turn in faith to Christ Jesus, he will save you. And that's just the third point. Put away your idols. Smash them. Smash your idols. Root them out of your life. Root them out of your life. I'll just repeat to you what I've told our church so many times. If you're wondering what the idols of your life are, all you have to do is this. There's a simple way to expose them. You just search the fears of your own heart. You search the fears of your own heart and you just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and say, Lord, what is the idol behind this fear in my life? Maybe it's your own health and safety. Maybe it's uh, the the fear of not doing well uh, financially. Maybe it's it's the fear of losing your life. Maybe it's whatever it is. Smash the idol. Bring it to the Lord. Repent of that idol worship, and Jesus will set you free. You know, this is an incredible text because it tells us about a nation in decay. And tragically, I look around the world and I see this is my nation. This is the world in which we live, but church, God is at work in the midst of it. We want to be those who walk in the truth of who the Lord is, and the only way we can do that is to Practice that attitude of gratitude. To walk in submission to Jesus, to say, you lead, I'll follow. And to continue to expose the idols in our lives, to smash them so that Jesus can lead. And so we're going to continue on in this text next week. We're going to see the leader that God raises up. And so let me pray for you right now. Ron and and Lisa and Andy are going to come and lead us in one closing song. And as they do, Let's, uh, as they get ready to come, let's, let's pray. Would you bow your head with me at home?